All right, good evening. It's good to see you here tonight. Nice and, I pray you're nice and dry and stay dry when you go home and your houses stay dry. Well, we're going to continue in the book of Leviticus. We're in Leviticus chapter 25. If you remember from last week, we began talking about the Sabbath rest for the land and the year of Jubilee, that every seventh year there was to be a Sabbath rest for the land. They were not to sow their fields, they were not to reap their fields, and that every 49th year, seven times seven, would, uh, in the 50th year, actually, they would have a year of jubilee where debts would be released, land would go back to the original owners, and all of this was to show that God was provider, that God cared about people, and uh, as Alan Ross said in his commentary, Holiness to the Lord, he wrote this, if you remember, the provision of the Sabbath year was intended to provide the Israelites with the hope of a future time of prolonged rest and release from debts. People may have labored year in and year out, but they knew that a time of relief was coming. Without such a prospect, the people would have despaired. One purpose of the laws concerning the Sabbath year and the Jubilee year was to prevent the formation of a class of rich landowners and the ruin of their debtors. These times were designed to give people a time of refreshment, a periodic fresh start, to wipe the slate clean at least once in a person's life. It was meant to give relief, meant to give release and relief, and it pointed to a future time. For us, we know that points to heaven for us. We're going to continue in the rest of Leviticus, verses 23 to 55. I ask you to stand with me as we pray and that we would read from God's Word. We'll see what God says to us tonight. The title is A Sabbath Rest, Part 2. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that there was a baby who laid in a manger. We thank you that even then he was king of the universe. As we saying in the old hymn that Christ was born to die, that man might live. We thank you for the life that is ours. And Lord, we thank you that there is a future and a hope for your children, a day in which you will erase all debts, which you will redeem us fully, Lord, and will be brought into a new land, a perfect land, where we'll be with the Lord forever and ever as his treasured possession. And while we're here on this side of heaven, till that day happens, Lord God, we ask that you help us to live a life worthy of the calling of Christ Jesus. We ask now, Lord God, that you give us the, and grant us through the power of your Spirit the ability to hear and understand what your Word says to us. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Verse 23 to 55 of Leviticus chapter 25. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity. For the land is mine, for you are strangers and sojourners with me. And in all the country you possess, you shall allow a redemption of the land. If your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. If a man has no one to redeem it, and then himself becomes prosperous and finds sufficient means to redeem it, let him calculate the year since he sold it and pay back the balance to the man to whom he sold it, and then return to his property. But if he does not have sufficient means to recover it, then what he sold shall remain in the hand of the buyer until the year of Jubilee. 
In the jubilee it shall be released, and he shall return to his property. If a man sells a dwelling house in a walled city, he may redeem it within a year of its sale. For a full year he shall have the right of redemption. If it is not redeemed within a full year, then the houses in the walled city shall belong in perpetuity to the buyer throughout his generation. It shall not be released in the jubilee. But the houses of the villages that have no wall around them shall be classified with the fields of the land. They may be redeemed and they shall be released in the jubilee. As for the cities of the Levites, the Levites may redeem at any time the houses in the cities they possess. And if one of the Levites exercises his right of redemption, then the house that he has sold in a city they possess shall be released in the jubilee. For the houses in the cities of the Levites are their possession among the people of Israel. But the fields of pasture land belonging to their cities may not be sold, for that is their possession forever. If your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner, and he shall live with you. Take no interest from him or profit, but fear your God that your brother may live beside you. You shall not lend him your money at interest nor give him your food for profit. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. If your brother becomes poor beside you and sells himself to you, you shall not make him serve as a slave. He shall be with you as a hired worker and a sojourner. He shall serve with you until the year of Jubilee. Then he shall go out from you, he and his children with him, and go back to his own clan and return to the possession of his fathers. For they are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold to slaves. You shall not rule over him ruthlessly, but you shall fear your God. And for, <clears throat> as for your male and female slaves whom you have, you may buy male and female slaves from among the nations that are around you. You may also buy from among the strangers who sojourn with you and their clans that are with you who have been born in your land, that they may be your property. <clears throat> you may be quit, you may, <clears throat> excuse me, you may bequeath them to your sons after, after you to inherit as a possession forever. You shall make you, shall, you may make slaves of them, but over your brothers, the people of Israel, you shall not rule over one another ruthlessly. If a stranger or sojourner with you becomes rich and your brother beside him becomes poor and sells himself to the stranger or sojourner with you or to a member of the stranger's clan, then after he, has, he is sold, he may be redeemed. One of his brothers may redeem him, or his uncle or his cousin may redeem him, or a close relative from his clan may redeem him. Or if he grows rich, he may redeem himself. He shall calculate with his buyer from the year when he sold himself until the year of Jubilee, and the price of his sale shall vary with the number of years. The time that, the, the time that he was with his owner shall be rated as a time of a hard worker. If there are still many years left, he shall pay proportionally for his redemption some of his sale price. If there remain but a few years until the year of Jubilee, he shall calculate and pay for his redemption in proportion to his years of service. He shall treat him as a worker hired year by year. He shall not rule ruthlessly over him in your sight. And if he is not redeemed by these means, then he and his children with him shall be released in the year of Jubilee. He is to be, he is, he, for he is to me that the people of Israel are servants. They are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt I am the Lord your God. It's the word of the Lord. You may be seated. 
we see first that there is to be a redemption for property. A redemption for property. God said that there is to be a redemption, a buying back of property for two reasons. First, the land belongs to God and His children are merely sojourners in the land. That's what it says in verse 23. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity. That means forever, right? For the land is mine. For you are strangers and sojourners with me. Excuse me. Made me think of the principle that we know that God owns everything. The psalmist writes in Psalm 24, 1, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and the world and those who dwell therein. David had collected all the means for building the tabernacle, for building the temple, I'm sorry, uh, uh, left for his son Solomon. And David, when all the things were collected and all the people were assembled, he dedicated them to the Lord. And David said this in his prayer in 1 Chronicles 29, verses 10 to 15. It says this, Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over, your, you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your, your glorious name. But who am I, and what is my people? that we should be able thus to offer willingly. For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners, as all our fathers were. Our days on earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. God owns everything. Everything that we get or we earn, comes from God allowing us to, giving us the ability to. We need to hold our possessions as stewards. We are strangers in this land. Soon and soon, very soon, we're going to see the king, as the song says. Um, We're not going to take anything with us. It all belongs to the Lord. How freeing it is for us to, to have that thought that, you know, this belongs to the Lord. It's not mine, and I'm going to be a good steward of it. Because everything belongs to the Lord, God said there must be the ability to redeem, be a redemption in all the lands that they possess. Verse 24 says, In all the country that you possess, you shall allow a redemption of the land. Redemption is the word uh, gula. It means the right of buying back. And the land must be redeemed through the nearest redeemer who is a relative or who we know as the kinsman redeemer, right? We know from the book of Ruth, Boaz, the kinsman kinsman redeemer. They must be brought back from the, 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 the kinsman redeemer. The nearest relative must be the person who buys it back, from the person who sold the land. And if the person who sold the land, that is, that is what he's saying is, if I fall on the hard times, I have a bad crop, locusts come, eat, there's a drought or whatever, and now I'm in financial straits and I have to sell my land in order just to survive, that I get to buy that land, that land is to be bought back. 
But he says, if the person who sold the land, somehow their fortunes change, and now they're able to, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> able to buy back the land themselves, redeem the land themselves, they are to do that. He says, if your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then the nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what the brother has sold. Uh, again, as he said, if his fortunes change. Verses 26 to 27, if a man has no one to redeem it, and then himself becomes prosperous and finds sufficient means to redeem it, let him calculate the year since he sold it and pay back the balance of the man to whom he sold it and then return to his property. Why this calculation of the years to the year of Jubilee? Because he was selling crops is what he was doing. And God is fair in all of this because if the guy can just have his land back, then he loses out. Um, so he said, calculate the years and give the money to go to, back to the owner who he sold it to, whether it's short or little, no matter what, what it was. If it happens to be that he has no one that can redeem, in other words, there's no close relatives or no relatives who have the financial means to redeem, well, then that guy has to wait till the year of Jubilee. That's why Alan Ross says at least once in a person's life, the slate will be wiped clean, Right? It says, but if he does not have sufficient means, verse 28, to recover it, then what he, what he sold shall remain in the hand of the buyer until the year of Jubilee. In the Jubilee, it shall be released, and he shall return to his property. But there was an exception for those who lived in the walled cities. God doesn't tell us why it's an exception, except other than that the land belongs to the Lord. About walled cities. So what's that comparison for us? That's, you know, I guess, you know, New York City and Hasbro Heights. We're the fields. New York City is the walled city, I guess is the way to look at it. He says, if a man sells a dwelling house in a walled city, he may redeem it within a year of its sale. It's not that he can't. He has one year to do it. So if you're a procrastinator and you want your house back, you better move, right? For a full year, he shall have the right of redemption. It is, if it is not redeemed within a full year, then the house in the walled city shall belong in perpetuity to the buyer, to the, the guy he sold it to throughout his generations. It shall not be released in the Jubilee. So this notion that everything went back to you at the year of Jubilee is actually not true. From the walled city... Doesn't count for you. You have a year to do it. If you don't do it within a year, then whoever you sold it to, it's theirs forever. Again, Scripture does not tell us why, other than the fact that God says the houses and the villages and the fields, they are classified as belonging to me. That's what it says in verse 31. But the houses of the villages that have no walls around them shall be classified with the fields of the land. They may be redeemed, and they shall be released in the Jubilee. So the houses and the fields and the, and the fields themselves can be released in the year of Jubilee, but not within a walled city. As I think about this, and I wonder, well, why is that? Well, chances are, if you lived within a walled city, this is, I get this from no commentary, this is just me saying, well, why would that be? Why is that the exception? I would imagine that your means of, of provision are within a business. Like you, you know, you're selling camel saddles or something. You know what I'm saying? That you have a fixed way of doing it within the field. It's all dependent upon the Lord to produce crops or not produce crops. 
Whether that's true or not, I don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us. So actually, it's probably best not to try to figure out why. God just said walled cities are the exception. There's also an exception, though, for the Levites. The Levites, the priests, the sons of Aaron. The Levites were, not, were, were allowed to only sell and redeem their homes, not their land. Not the land in which they lived. That's what it says in verses 32 to 34. As for the cities of the Levites, the Levite may redeem at any time the houses in the cities they possess. And if one of the Levites exercises his right of redemption, then the house that he has sold in a city they possess shall be released in the Jubilee. So whether their house, now the Levite's house, whether it's in a city or not, gets the, the, the Levites are a special exemption. They get to have things released in the Jubilee. For the houses in the cities of the Levites are their possession among the people of Israel. We've got to go back a little bit in our study. Remember that the, there were certain cities which were given to the Levites, of which they could live. They were given a certain amount of land outside the city. Remember, this is God's possession to them. They got no plot of land. It wasn't like, here's the tribe of Levi. That doesn't exist. It was Asher, you know, uh, 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 the rest of the tribes. There was no land as a mass allotted to Levites except for where God told them they could live. They were a separate class. And so they were the exception. Their houses in a city could be redeemed and would be released at the year of Jubilee. For the houses in the cities of the Levites are their possession among the people of Israel. But the fields of the pasture land belonging to their cities may not be sold, for that is their possession forever. So they couldn't even sell their fields. That's what it is for the Levites, for the walled cities. And we sit there and I go, well, how do we apply that to our life? To be honest, I really can't find anything. But now we get into the poor Israelite. And now we have specific laws on how to treat a brother or Israeli, a fellow Israelite who becomes poor. Now I see for us some, some practical application. So we see the poor Israelite, the poor Israelite, the brother who, because of his financial situation, sells himself to another brother. He is to be treated as a hired worker and not a slave. Now there's a distinction. A hired worker is like being hired to work for a company. A slave is you have no rights, but a hired worker has rights. So it says this in verses 39 to 40. If your brother becomes poor beside you and sells himself to you, you shall not make him serve as a slave, but he shall be with you as a hired worker and as a sojourner. He shall serve with you until the year of Jubilee. God says the reason that they are to be treated differently, that they can serve until the year of Jubilee, is because he reminds them that you all were once slaves. You know what it's like to be a slave, and you are never to return to slavery again. What does Paul tell us in the, in the book of Galatians? It is for freedom that Christ died. Do not be yoked again with the, with the burden of slavery. Verse 42 says, For you are my servants, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as slaves. 
And another reason he says is, verse 43, you shall not rule over them ruthlessly, but shall fear your God. Just made me think about how kind God is to us. God does not deal with us harshly, does he? He leads us like a shepherd. God is lowly and gentle towards us. He does not treat us according to our sins, the Scripture tells us. And so we must also treat others in the same manner, to be an imitator of God. But what about foreigners? What about those people who are not Israelites? He says, as for your, verse 44 to 46, as for your male and female slaves, whom you may have, you may buy male and female slaves from among the nations that are around you. You may also buy from among the strangers who sojourn with you and their clans that are with you, who have been born in your land, and they may be your property. You may bequeath them to your sons after you to inherit it as a possession forever. You may make slaves of them, but over your brothers, the people of Israel, you shall not rule one another ruthlessly." Now, we, require, we recoil, and we should recoil at the idea of slavery. Why God allowed it again, God doesn't tell us. I read one commentary, he says it, it, to him it would be something like where they asked about divorce to Jesus, and God, God allowed it for your hardness of your heart. Um, I don't know why God allowed slavery, but he did. We know it's wrong. Um, is God wrong? That's not what I'm saying. God allowed it, we just have to let it be there. But what I see out of this is God is making a distinction between Israelites, God's people, and people who are not God's people. And I think there's a spiritual lesson we can learn there. There has to be a distinction for us and how we interact with brothers and sisters in Christ than we do of those of the world. We're told very specifically in the book of Galatians, in Galatians 6.10, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. If you have means to help somebody, and the choice is between a brother or sister in Christ, or even a family member who is not a believer, I believe Scripture would say the obligation goes to the brother or sister in Christ. We are to especially to those who are of the household of faith. We're to treat each other differently. We're not to treat each other like them. We're not to be on equal standing of friendship with those people in the world and with those people in the body of Christ. There is just no comparison whatsoever. He makes then the distinction about the redemption of a poor Israelite. He says, if a stranger or sojourner with you becomes rich. So somebody who's not you becomes rich, and your brother besides him becomes poor and sells himself to the stranger or sojourner with you or to a member of the stranger's clan, then after he is sold, he may be redeemed. One of his brothers may redeem him, or his uncle or his cousin may redeem him, or a close relative from his clan may redeem him. Or if he grows rich, he may redeem himself. So somebody who is not 
an Israelite, a child of God, comes and acquires wealth, and your field is next to his, and you're in trouble financially. This guy's doing well, so you sell your field and yourself to him. Say, I'm going to go work for him. Um, he is to be able to be redeemed by the members of his family. But even in that, God says there's got to be a calculation of the years of which he is a hired worker. Verses 50 to 54 say, He shall calculate with his buyer from the year which he sold himself until the year of Jubilee. So if you're sold, you know, it's six years to the Jubilee, well, then you've got to count those six years. If it's 40 years, you've got to count the 40 years. And the price of his sale shall vary with the number of years. The time that he was with his owner shall be rated as the time of a hired worker. In other words, there's God saying, if your fellow brother has to sell himself to a foreigner, you make sure that that foreigner treats him as a hired worker, not as a slave. If there are still many years left, he shall pray proportionately for his redemption sum of a sale price. If there remain but a few years until the year of Jubilee, he shall calculate and pay for his redemption in proportion to his years of service. He shall treat him as a hired worker year by year. He shall not rule ruthlessly over him in your sight. There's the idea of not letting it happen. And if he is not redeemed by these means, then he and his children with him shall be released in the year of Jubilee. So the Jubilee was not for the foreigner, but it's for God's children. Even if he had to sell himself to a foreigner, the people in the land were to make sure that the foreigner released him at least in the year of Jubilee. The idea of selling himself to a foreigner. In my mind, I made the connection that we are to make sure that our brothers and sisters in the Lord do not fall into error and, in, and sin by the influence of the world. I don't know if you can, that's how I made this connection. We cannot let our brothers or sisters, we need to be careful that our brothers and sisters don't fall into the traps of the world, the desires of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We don't let them go off. We, we do everything to get them out, redeem them out of going down the wrong path. Hebrews 3.12 says this, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. James says this in James 5.19-20, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. God says the reason they are not to let their fellow citizens fall into slavery is because they are the Lord's people. They belong to God. Leviticus 25.55 says this, For it is to me that the people of Israel are servants. They are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You and I were totally sold over the sin. We had no way of ransoming ourselves. Unless the Lord redeems, there is no hope. But God has redeemed us. 
And that should change the way we look at things, the way our outlook and way of living is to be God-centered, just as theirs was to be. Remember, they kept saying, I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. Do this because I am the Lord your God. It was to be God-focused, God-centered. We, we are so far removed from the idea of selling fields. How many of, us, how many of you own a field? Right? You know, we might get upset mowing our small lawn, right? Oh, I, I can't. Imagine, we, don't, we, have, we are so far removed from all of this. But remember, all of it does is it points us to something greater, the lesser to the greater. You and I were completely sold over the sin. Unless Jesus Christ stepped in, and thanks be to God that he did. He stepped in. It should cause us to look at life differently, to live in a different way. As Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. It made me also think of the passage that I encouraged us to memorize in Colossians 3, 1 to 7. If then you have been raised with Christ, if you've been redeemed by Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of earth, for you died and your life is now hidden with God. In, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you shall also be like him. What an incredible thought. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Didn't you think that was enough to put away? If I put away sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, isn't that enough? Like, what else do I got left, God? No, you must put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the Creator. You know what's the great thing about in God's kingdom? That He's not worried if you're a foreigner, if you're an Israelite or whatever. You're just God's child. You're God's chosen child. And so He expects us to act like it, because here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, bearing or Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So I'm going to put off this old stuff. I'm going to put on this new stuff. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Compassionate hearts. Isn't this what we're supposed to be putting on for our spouses if we're married? Isn't this what we're supposed to be putting on for our fellow brothers and sisters? Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. The standard for us is high. 
And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. <laughs> you know, what a difference would make if we just started being thankful. Just start saying thankful. Thank you. Start every day waking up, counting our blessings. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. The children of Israel back then were to be God-centered in their thinking about how they lived their life, of how they treated their brothers and sisters. It is no different for us. That's the lessons I get out of Leviticus 25. That's what I see. And I have to ask myself and I have to ask you, how are you living as God's chosen one? How are you and I living as ones who have been called out of darkness into God's glorious light? May we be all that God has called us to be. May we work, walk in the good works that which God has prepared for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you redeemed us. And Lord, what a price you paid. As we learned this morning, you gave yourself fully. You gave everything for us. You gave your heart, your soul. Everything of you was put into redeeming us. We thank you, Lord, that it's by the precious blood of Jesus Christ that it for us has been a once and forever redemption. Lord, help us to never go back to the fruitless works of darkness. And Lord, help us to love our fellow brothers and sisters. Help us to love the foreigner around us, those who do not know you. Help us, Lord God, to be different from the culture, different from the world, to be a city on a hill, to be the salt of the earth, to be the light of the world so that we bring honor to Christ. And Lord, if it be your will, that we lead some to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's stand. Let's close on the song. All right. I ask that you open up your hymnals. And Pastor had said the title of the song, so we're going to sing soon and very soon, uh, which is page 757. And we're going to sing all three verses. 757. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the King. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the King. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the King. Hallelujah, hallelujah, we're going to see the King. No more crying there, we are going to see the King. No more crying there, we are going to see the King. 
No more crying there. We are going to see the King. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We're going to see the King. No more dying there. We are going to see the King. No more dying there. We are going to see the King. No more dying there. We are going to see the King. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We're going to see the King. And let's close with a doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.